You're listening to the Improve Photography Podcast. Support for today's show comes from Poster Burner. If you're looking for the perfect gift this holiday season, check out PosterBurner.com. PosterBurner offers high-quality custom posters and canvas prints of your photos at affordable prices. Go to PosterBurner.com improve to get an additional 10% discount on your order. That's PosterBurner.com improve. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Improved Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Harmer, and today I'm talking with Brent from Brent Rents Lenses. Hey, Brent, how are you? Hey, doing well. Thanks for having me on again, Jim. Uh, it's always good to talk with you. Well, yeah. we heard your um, your Latitude podcast come through about your trip to Croatia. Um, yeah. Sounds like that was an, an incredible trip. It was a very good trip. It was also a challenging trip and uh, very glad I learned the things that I did when I was over there, but it was definitely a good trip. Got some great images and it's just, I can't wait to finally have Christmas break to start really pushing those images out. Yeah, I'm, I'm anxious to see, see what you've done. It's going to be fun. Yeah, thanks. Well, um, in today's episode, we're going to start in the first half with a dozen lies they tell new photographers. Uh, this is an article that came across on the website from Rick Ownsman. He did a great job, uh, and we kind of wanted to use that as to uh, serve as a base for, for this week's article. There were also quite a few really good comments on this article that I wanted to, uh, to mention a few things on. But but the first lie that they tell new photographers is manual mode is what real photographers use. You need to learn that right away. Um, you know, I kind of go back and forth on this. So I don't know if there are a lot of people that have taught photographers to more people uh, than I have <laughs> over the years. Uh, improved photography for a long, long time. Now, not so much anymore, but for a long, long time has really been focused on beginning photographers. And now, you know, we have photographers of all levels. Um, but but we, uh, I, I've changed a lot in the way that I approach teaching somebody who's brand new, you know, somebody who just went to Costco and picked up a bundle, um, you know, of a, of a D3200 and a couple lenses. Um, I, th I think it is important to learn how to shoot in manual mode right away. It's fine, I think, of course, if you shoot in aperture priority or shutter priority or whatever else and use what the camera can do to help you. But I do think it's important to learn manual mode very soon uh, near the start of when you're learning photography because uh, it's something that if you put off for a while, I find photographers put that off for a couple of years. And if you just sit down and just spend a day and learn it, you, you'll be done for the rest of your time and the camera will make so much more sense. What's your take on that? Yeah, that's that's definitely a good way to look at it. Waiting a couple of years to get into understanding all the controls that manual give you gives you is definitely not something I would recommend. Uh, I guess I would say it depends on the person, of course, and what their specific goals and learning style might be. But as long as you have that as your end goal, that you will get to it, and that's what you're hoping for, you know, certainly master the program mode, master the the uh, aperture priority, the shutter priority. 
and have your end goal be that that manual mode for sure because it definitely helps you just understand and when we're talking out in the field with you know if you happen to be joining other photographers and you're talking out in the field you you just have that experience and you just instantly understand what everyone is saying and it can be a lot more efficient for you as you're uh, conversing with other photographers so just make sure that's your end goal would be my my advice. Yeah, I I had an experience a while ago at a conference, not the Improved Photography Conference, uh, but I was speaking at a conference and uh, we we're just kind of chatting in the speakers' lounge and uh, with with a few of the speakers and it became pretty apparent that one of them uh, did not really understand uh, how yeah. shutter aperture and ISO uh, came across. And she does have great images, but, but that obviously will hold you back. If, if you, if you never get that, it obviously will hold you back. Is it the most important thing, more important than light and composition? Of course not. But I think it's kind of like if you're learning a computer, you know, is the most important thing to a blogger how to type or, you know, how to not get viruses? Well, no, of course not. More important than that is learning how to be a great writer. Uh, yeah. But that, but if you start with just understanding a computer and being able to use the computer well, it's going to make everything else so much easier. And Definitely. so I, while I understand the point here that obviously lighting competition, composition is more important, I do actually think it's, it's good for a new photographer to just, let's just knock that out. If you just sit down and focus, let's knock it out and you won't have to be struggling with this for months and years. Sounds good. All right. The, the second, um, the second myth here is always shoot in raw. Good photographers don't shoot in JPEG. What's your take on that? Well, I, I'd like to start off by saying, well, I never shoot JPEG, but then that would basically be a lie because there are some times that I do shoot JPEG. Uh, but for me, it's not very common that I do, but especially for beginners, there's, in my opinion, there's no reason to um, drag yourself through the mud of learning raw processing while you're also learning your camera settings and your composition and all that. So if that's not something that you want to take on right away, let raw be your end goal again, but don't be afraid to go ahead and just shoot JPEG for a while would be my advice to a beginner. Yeah, I totally agree. I I really think most beginners should not be shooting in RAW, in fact, because it's just too much. If you have all the technical stuff of the in the camera, which I do think we just got to knock out, if we, if we pile on that, all the yeah. technical stuff of the editing right at first... Yeah. Ooh, that's that's just a lot. It's pretty overwhelming. It's very a, intimidating because yeah. you have so many, you know, a person comes to photography and they, and they want to just, you know, make great images and be creative. Usually that's the case anyway. And then you throw all this technical stuff at them like the exposure triangle and learning raw processing. And then you have to decide which software you're going to use because there's a mountain of choices there as well. If you can simplify it, start to be comfortable with the one then you can add the other later that's a good way to go good point <clears throat> yeah i i think in the field photography and post-processing really should be split up for most photographers learn one yeah. then learn the other and you'll be just fine yeah, absolutely a new camera or lens will improve for your photography 
Um, now, we, we all know this uh, This clearly isn't true um, in the beginning stage. I mean, when you're a new photographer, you have so much that is going to help your photography. And frankly, going to one of the more advanced cameras can actually hurt your photography and make it yeah. harder. Because now when you used to just have two focus modes, you now have like 11, the, you yeah. know, like the Canon 7D. Holy cow, that thing has so that many focus modes. It's awesome. It's so confusing, yeah. But it's confusing. Uh, even yeah. pro photographers, they're like, yeah, you know, I use two, these two or three focus modes. I don't even know what the other ones are. <laughs> and when so, I first added, yeah. sorry, when I first added that camera to my inventory, I, I looked at that and I just, was just like, why? Uh -huh. <laughs> this is too much. But, you know, once you just chip away at it and you understand what Canon's doing with all those different focus modes, it starts to make sense. But exactly, it's overkill for, for a new photographer, for, for sure. It just, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, you know, they a lot of new photographers say, okay, yeah, yeah, that that's what everybody gets the Nikon D thirty two hundred, but 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 I yeah. really like to get the five D Mark IV, and you know, I, I think that really will set most people back. I, I think you really do want to start with one of the more basic cameras because, well, they're meant for newer photographers. If you yeah. look at the newer um, Nikon cameras, the Canon cameras, the the well, especially the Nikon's, they're doing a pretty good job with the interface of making it simpler making it easier to understand for a new photographer. You know, when you switch the aperture on one of those newer Nikon lower-end right. cameras, it shows you an image of the aperture getting bigger and smaller, even though the number's getting, you know, going the opposite direction, right. which is very confusing for a new photographer. So little things like that really help. Um, plus, you get all of the little icon modes, you know, your ski mode, right. your your backlit mode, sunset mode, etc. Um, and I, I think that's very helpful. So, yeah, Yes, I agree. For a, a new photographer, uh, buying new gear w will not help. And when you finally get to that point to where the gear is limiting you, then you can start thinking, you know what, what's my problem? And certainly ask some people and say, hey, I want to do this and help me get to that point. Possibly maybe it is your gear at that time. Sometimes you don't, you know, you just don't know. You need to have that conversation with somebody. But maybe sometimes it is your gear. Like if you're wanting shallower depth of field, well, your kit lens may not do that for you and you need a different lens to do that possibly but um, it's just master your gear first most definitely it's definitely the way, way to go yeah and and that's true for intermediate and advanced photographers you totally. know I, I think this is this is not true i think this is a myth about uh you know i think a new gear often will improve your photography for an intermediate and advanced photographer yeah. i know that's not popular to say i know we always want to say it's only about the creativity but the truth right. is when i do portfolio reviews like i've been doing them periodically on improved photography plus i just set aside a day and and let anybody who wants to call in um, and I've talked with tons of people over the last few weeks. It's been really fun. Um, I mean, that's one of the most common things I say is people say, you know, my images just still look really soft. And right, I'll look right. at where they put the focus point and it's in the right spot. And I'll look at the shutter speed they choose and it's in the right and it's in the right range for it. And so the only thing left is yeah, it, it's just not a real sharp lens and that's all there is to it. And so some people are frustrated trying to learn and they maybe don't realize because they haven't had the higher end gear, how would they know that it is right. just the lens because they haven't had a higher end, end lens. So yeah, absolutely. That's true. Not just sometimes, but actually very often uh, that, that the gear is holding back an intermediate or an advanced photographer. 
Absolutely. But if you don't, if you're that new person, if you don't have that mastery of your current gear, you know, I just don't think that the investment will, will be worth it because let's face it, that newer gear tends to go up almost at a skyrocketing level sometimes. Completely agree. Yep. Newer photographers, it, it's definitely not the gear. All right. Buy a good heavy duty tripod. Um, yeah, this is, everybody makes this mistake, right? I, I don't know anybody who's ever done this right. <laughs> we <laughs> yeah. all talk about it, but I don't know anybody who's actually taken the advice of just like, hey, when you go buy your first tripod, seriously, buy a good one. It's going to save you money in the long run. But everybody goes and says, okay, but but surely there's a tripod in the $100 range that I can do this. And it's like, no, really, I promise. Go spend, yes. spend your money on a good one and then you'll be done. Uh, but everybody makes the same mistake. Buy a less expensive one and you're like, okay, finally got a pony up. But overdoing it on the tripod, I think that's kind of the point here too. You can also overdo it on the tripod. And, you know, you go buy something that extends to six and a half feet or more uh, because it's just the beefiest tripod ever. That might not really work well for you either because maybe the the style of photography you're looking to do or maybe you're wanting to carry it around easily and you bought a super heavy tripod that's not going to be very comfortable to carry around. So a little bit of research and figuring out, you know, what works best for your situation, that's definitely going to be uh, the way to go. Uh, stay away, for, Staying away from the cheap ones for sure, I think is a good tip, but uh, you don't have to go all out and get the biggest, beefiest one. Yeah, and I, I do agree with that. That's a good point, Brent. I, I, that's why I won't own a really right stuff tripod. They are too heavy. Even their quote really? unquote light series is yeah. too heavy. Yeah. Every like so okay, here's my thing on tripods. You can get a lightweight, skinny legged carbon fiber tripod that comes up to your eye height, and that's what I like. Um, yeah. If you tap it, if the wind blows, yes, you will see a little bit of movement. If you put that side by side with a chunky, fat, heavy, mm-hmm. really right stuff or one of those enduro tripods, they I mean I mean they have some heavy duty yes. stuff. You I will have look one of those. <laughs> at you will look at my tripod and you are like, eh, child's play. <laughs> right. <laughs> I want the big one. But but traveling with that thing is crazy. It's nuts. Yeah. It's way too heavy. It's it's bulky. Um, and if you get a really well made, sturdy but very lightweight tripod, um, it, it doesn't work the same. Like if you bump it, it's gonna move. It's lightweight. Right. I mean, anything lightweight is gonna move, uh, and anything heavy is gonna be harder to move. That's just physics, right? right? Um, yeah. And so I think a lot of people move toward those heavy ones where you realize, you know. If you just use good technique and just don't touch the camera when you're clicking the shutter button, you know, um, uh, but do it, you're going to get crystal clear, absolutely sharp uh, shots. It's just doesn't have the weight to also make it more sturdy. Oh, yeah. And the the tripod that I took, um, I should say I have taken on some trips. I have a really small one uh, that is a bit on the flimsy side and it's got a really micro size ball head. But when it comes to that, you know, I'll just put my camera on two second delay. So when I hit the button, it waits two seconds to take the shot. Yep. And it'll also flip the mirror up because I know all those items are going to cause vibrations and potentially soften my image. 
Well, if I have it flip the mirror up and then it waits two seconds for all those vibrations to settle down, I can be on a really super lightweight tripod and still get a nice sharp image. So, um, yeah, it takes me just a slight bit longer to do it, but my back is definitely saved because it's such a lightweight tripod. Yeah, the the saddest thing is you see somebody with a very expensive $800,000 tripod yeah. uh, who's hiking around with a little me photo tripod because that one was too heavy. Right? Uh, yeah. Ah, that's sad. So I I just I like getting one that's the Goldilocks. Really sturdy, really well made, but lightweight. I'm right there with you. And I actually mentioned this on the last uh, episode of Latitude as well. And I'm on the hunt myself for a nice tripod that'll fit in my pack and or at least next to it but not be that beefy you know super large uh, style thing like I, I have one of those enduros carbon fibers it's nice for when i'm shooting from the car but not when i'm traveling hiking or anything like that all right um the next one is about chimping your your photos um you know, I this I think this is a definitely a concern for um, for portrait photographers yeah. and sports photographers. Something that's a little faster pace, uh, but actually it's a, a little bit funny for a landscape photographer. Well, yeah, I think you probably do want to chimp every single photo, um, and and even in the other styles. I mean, why are you jumping to the next shot if you haven't even seen what you've just created to see what you want to change? You know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. I, I think it actually really helps. Like, take a shot, look at it, really think about this, and then move on to the next shot instead Absolutely. of just pumping out volume. So in case you happen to not know what chimping is, I, I thought I might go ahead and describe that. It's when you take a shot, you look down at your LCD screen, and I heard I was at a workshop with, um, oh, what's the guy's name? I can't think he's a big-time photographer for National Geographic. Uh, but anyway, I heard him, um, Joe McNally, that's who it was. I heard him give this explanation, and he was like just rolling off. You know, you look at your thing and you go, ooh, ooh, look at that, and you sound like a chimp. And I was like, that's exactly right. <laughs> uh-huh. So if you're doing that constantly, that can get in your way of rolling with the what's happening and all that good stuff. But like Jim was saying too, and I find myself doing this all the time, I'm always checking my histogram, always checking my sharpness or, or lack thereof, uh, always checking these other types of uh, things I'm just concerned about in the image. Also doing border patrol as far as looking to make sure nothing is creeping in. You know, the a little twig, a little whatever that creeps in, that can be... Uh, really annoying to have in the final shot. So uh, certainly working the the image over, working the scene over, and getting what you need. Uh, I'm definitely always making that happen uh, with with looking at what's what's there on the sensor and and uh, chimping all the time just about when I'm doing nature or landscape type work. Yeah, Rick made a good point here. I it, it has become popular in photography to say, oh, don't constantly chimp and stuff. But I'm with you, Brent. I. I chimp almost every shot, if not every shot. I mean, it, you know, it wouldn't really work for sports photography to chimp every no. shot, but uh, but for most photography, yeah, I, I take a shot and I look at it every time. Otherwise, why am I taking another if I if I haven't even seen what was wrong? You just absolutely. You, I think you want to do that, and especially for a new photographer who's trying to learn the camera settings and things like that. Totally, you need yeah. to tie in what that change did to what the resulting photo looks like. You need to see lots of those examples in order for that to to sink in. Totally, and maybe you're out shooting the ocean or a waterfall. You know, the water behaves differently, and you just have to 
basically keep at it until you got the shot and you're not going to know you got the shot unless you're looking. Good point. Um, the next one is Photoshop is the editing program that pros use is the, uh, is the next, uh, myth. And, and I can agree with this, you know, since I started Photoshop with, uh, or I started Photoshop, oh boy, what in 2005, I think I started using Photoshop and, you know, since then, every year I have used Photoshop about, you know, whatever percentage, a little bit less than the year before as Lightroom and other programs have taken up more of my editing. Photoshop has just slowly been chipped away all through those years. Is that true for you? You've been using Photoshop for a long time. Oh, yes. I've been using Photoshop since version three. And that's a long, um, that's a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and I teach it. So um, I am basically right there as far as an even keel uh, in my Photoshop use. And I have an advanced Photoshop class coming up next quarter. So uh, it doesn't, it hasn't really uh, tapered off for me. In my photography work, absolutely it's tapered off. When I was uh, shooting slide film, I would scan them and then work them over in Photoshop to make them right. And Boy, howdy, I use Photoshop all the time. And definitely Lightroom is where I'm at right now uh, for a majority of my work. But as I've gotten into back into some uh, exposure blending with luminosity masks and the like, uh, you know, we're back into Photoshop for that. So uh, it's kind of been going a little bit back and forth for me. But for the most part, when it's pure photography, uh, I, I don't hardly ever touch Photoshop. Yeah, Photoshop has is kind of the manual way of doing everything. You know, you want to do skin smoothing, it's got to be manual. It's going to take like 40 steps and you're doing everything. Um, and Lightroom has a lot of kind of combined steps. You know, yeah. maybe not quite as accurate or things like that, uh, but, but you can get a pretty similar look uh, by doing yes. this in Lightroom with just an adjustment brush. And so um, Photoshop is very manual, very uh, surgical. Lightroom is is much more a kind of gross edit, um, and now what we're seeing the new wave is is AI is edits that are done for you, um, yeah. and you just kind of <clears throat> turn on, you know, skin smoothing, and it finds where the eyes and the mouth and the nose are, and it just does it for you, and you can just tweak the style of it and the amount of it, um, and so. A lot of those processes in Photoshop that are these multi-step processes, which is, you know, when I would want to use the program is when I got a, kind of a multi-step thing to do. Um, and that is getting eaten away very quickly by smarter, better software that's doing this quickly. Mm -hmm. And an example I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, um, and I showed in my Landscape 101 course, if you got the, the, uh, the photography steal on Black Friday, is... Uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, Landscape Pro, this uh, this program that will do your sky replacements for you. And there are other programs, you know, we're seeing a Luminar and programs like mm -hmm. that that are, they're taking a lot of the steps that took a lot of steps in Photoshop and they're like, hey, just move this slider. Um, and, it, you know, I'd love to say that, hey, looks amateur, I can do much better in Photoshop. But the truth is right. sometimes I can't. Uh, sometimes yeah. I see what those programs are doing and I'm like, shoot, you know, even if I spent an hour in Photoshop, I'm not quite sure I can get it to look that good. Uh, and, and that's impressive. Definitely is. All right. Um, 
boy, there's so much good stuff in this article. I definitely encourage everybody to uh, to go through and, and check it out. Um, but, uh, you know, when, when you're a newer photographer, there's so many different things coming at you, so many things to learn uh, that uh, it's really an exciting time. I, at, to some extent, while, while, you know, there are frustrations of learning the technical stuff, being a, a beginning photographer was one of the most fun times of photography for me because you see that your steepest curve in your learning is it's it's never going to get better than right now. You're never going to progress faster in photography than you do at the beginning. And right. after a while, things are going to level off and, and you're going to just, you know, wherever you can pick up just one little tip, one little thing here and there uh, is a win because uh, you've heard a lot of stuff. Um, and that's where, you know, you're listening to the improved photography podcast every week and stuff. And, and your purpose for doing so is, Hey, you know, I I hope I pick up one little thing that's going to help me, uh, because after a while, that's really the learning curve you can expect. All right. In the second half, we're going to talk a little bit more about photographing Croatia and some things that, that uh, Brent has done, as well as some uh, learning to be a little bit more flexible on your photo shoots to get better results. But before we do that, we want to take a minute to thank our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Canvas People. Look, we all love photography. Just a couple of months ago when I was in Zion National Park, uh, just enjoying all the nature and capturing amazing photos, I really enjoyed the trip, but I wanted to keep it with me. And so I made a custom print to go in my house of it. Instead of letting those beautiful photos that you take rot on your cameras, you can bring them to life with canvaspeople.com. Canvaspeople.com is a really easy to use photo to canvas service that takes your favorite photo memories and turns them into beautiful artwork. Hang them on your walls, I have them up here in my home office, or give them as a gift. And with over 1 million customers served, you can buy with confidence. Normally, an 11 by 14 canvases are priced at $70, but now for a limited time, you can get a free 11 by 14 canvas. Just pay the shipping to try out the service. Simply use the promo code IMPROVE to take advantage of this offer. That's canvaspeople.com and promo code IMPROVE to get a free 11 by 14 canvas. Now that's a pretty cool deal. Well, Brent, on your Croatia trip, it sounded like from uh, from your podcast that uh, you had quite a few unexpected events as you were going going about things. Yes, I did, and that's kind of um, as far as the next topic to to think about flexibility when you're out shooting. Having some, well, a lot of patience first off, and then some backup plans or some other ideas that you can uh, take advantage of is definitely really important. And the big thing I think that uh, I was most disappointed over was my shooting of the uh, waterfalls at Plitvis Lakes National Park. Oh, and I that's the famous place. That is the place to go. Oh, my goodness. Um, I just can't get enough of that place. It's, it's just so big and so amazing. And so beautiful. It's I words cannot do it justice. I sound like a broken record and a cliche artist at best when I talk about it. But it is, you know, if there's if there's some place that lives up to its hype, this one surpasses it. And as far as all the waterfalls and just the the depth and breadth that you can get into with it, I wanted to spend a day and a half solid just shooting there because uh, I was there in September and. While that's considered officially the shoulder season because it's not July or August, it's still kind of busy. 
And I was there also planning to be there during the the regular part of the week. I was going to show up on Monday and and uh, leave on Wednesday morning. And this most huge rainstorm that just shut down the whole country uh, just came in and totally obliterated my plans. And so uh, Monday evening, when I was supposed to have been already up there already, I decided, well, I'm just going to become a day tripper. And I was there for four hours only uh, for shooting time, I should say. And you know, that was kind of depressing. So, uh, I was able to roll with it though. And it's not like I just hold up in my room and it was just like, boohoo, woe is me. Um, I still got out and I got absolutely doused in the rain and almost ruined my gear, but I uh, still got some good pictures because of it, uh, until it got way too bad. Then I had to put my gear away. So just kind of going ar- along and rolling with it. That's something I just, you know, really want people to think of as you plan a trip and as you're going somewhere, uh, if you are so locked into your schedule that you're just going to pout and have a bad day if it doesn't go your way, that's unfortunate because you're going to miss out on some other good images, at least the potential for other good images. And um, and so that was the major one. So when I'm walking around Plitvis Lakes, you know, it was hard for me to get out of that funk and say, I was supposed to be here, you know, at seven o'clock in the morning. And now I'm here at 11 o'clock in the morning. It was just, you know, just these kinds of things are just weighing on me. And it was like, I'm like, Brent, just get over it. Because if it's, if that's just going to persist and and just weigh me down, then I'm not going to make good images if I'm not in a good mood. Uh, But then of course I'm fighting all the people and, and the like, but I was still able to break through and make some really good images I certainly know I could have made a lot more good images if I had more time and less people to fight with, but I still came out with some really awesome shots, and I'm very, really proud of it. Oh, that's awesome. So how did you plan your trip then to be able to uh, to take advantage of the unexpected things? I mean, did you have like – like what I usually do is I have some set things. You know, I'm yeah. going to shoot sunrise here and sunset here. Right. Uh, everything else is old, is explore time. Um, that is. Are you doing that, or how are you doing it? That is basically how I look at it. Um, I do try and uh, do the research and figure out. Here's the options of what I can do and what I can shoot. Because if plans change, I want to have those options right at my fingertips, if not already just you know embedded in my memory. So. I'll have, uh, definitely I'll have the, uh, the sunrise times, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm going to be at this part of old town during sunrise and hopefully the light will be great. And if it's not, then I'll move over here, move move over there, whatever the case might be. When it comes to a trip like, like this and trying to get up to the, um, to the waterfalls, I figured, you know, my original plan was I'm going to drive up there during the mid part of the day because that's when the light stinks, uh, generally for landscape and, then I'm going to drive. It only takes two hours from where I was, so I was going to rent a car, drive up there, check into the room, and then buy a two-day pass because the park was opened until uh, like seven or eight at night, and I could have gotten in at roughly two in the afternoon, so I would have had at least four hours or so, uh, possibly a little more, to shoot one afternoon, and then I would have gotten in at seven o'clock the next morning. And then my plan was to literally leave the park or leave the the waterfalls area uh, in the midday just because there'd be too many day trippers. I knew I was going to be frustrated. I'd go around and shoot around town somewhere because it's in a forested area, but they have little towns. So when that all went to pot, what I ended up doing was just changing my whole thing. And I was in the city, the little city of Zadar, which has a nice little old town area. And so I just shot more there. And that was also an extra challenge because I hadn't uh, been to Zadar before. But when I first got there, 
I looked at the place and was just like, you know, this is nice, but it's not that pristine. Because I had been to Croatia 12 years earlier, and so I had this image in my mind of what I would expect. And Zadar just wasn't that pristine old town like I was looking for. But You're again, there. something more authentic. Yeah. But again, still there, I forced myself, I was like, buck up, Brent, you know, this is time to, this is where you're at, this is what you're given, it's time to make a good image or two. And so, definitely able, to, I spent a lot more time there than I planned, but I got actually a, a couple of extra good images too, and I was able to walk around even more and find other viewpoints and vantage points, and so it was, it was a good way to do it, as far as just trying to keep my mind open and not get, you know all depressed and whatnot saying oh man i really wanted this and i'm just not gonna it just doesn't serve anyone any good so it would have been a waste of money then if i had done that so uh, i was able to easily overcome it fairly easily overcome it and just still keep shooting and keep producing good images that's awesome i i had a similar experience in norway it was it was just overcast in in an, an area that i really really wanted to shoot just these awesome multicolored houses along a along an alley along a canal and sure. I really really wanted to get the shot there and just nothing was coming together uh, so I said all right I'm just gonna wait on it you know there were I looked at the forecast and it says okay you know it could get a couple breaks in the in the clouds at some point I went there Saturday and it was just clouds 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 I mean I mean just thick ugly clouds not like you know interesting clouds of course yeah uh, Sunday same thing Monday morning I had to leave I woke up and I thought come on same thing it was just socked mm. in and yeah. just never quite got the conditions I wanted so got to do a sky replacement you know and it's just yeah you know not quite what I wanted I wanted to be able to shoot it you know on location but that's all right I'm creating art and you know you just have to you know, when you're shooting landscapes and, and travel photography, you, you can't control that. And so sometimes right. you got to gotta just audible. You got it. Yep. <laughs> well, you're going back to Croatia in September 2018. That looks like an awesome trip. Oh, I'm so much looking forward to this. So my trip this last summer uh, was a scouting trip to basically go here, there and everywhere trying to find the the most awesome places to take a group of people. So I have a, a workshop that I have planned, and I've been spending all this time since I got back. Not only did I start the school year, because we're on the quarter system, so we started literally two days after I got back. Uh, so I started the school year and then got heavy into this uh, trip planning uh, for what will be hopefully the a very epic waterfall and uh, otherwise uh, trip to Croatia. So we're going to go to Zagreb, Plitvis Lakes, Trogir Mostar, which is in Bosnia Herzegovina, and wow. Dubrovnik. I, and I, those I are all actually, crazy names. <laughs> I have oh, no idea where these things are. But they're just, I. It's so hard. You know, I just almost become breathless when I start talking about it because for me, I just it just tickles everything for me. It's just so, awesome stuff. So what is it? What do you shoot in Croatia? Like, why would somebody want to go there? For me, it's a mix between what I'm looking for uh, and that Croatia uh, easily provides. It's a mix between three things for me, and that is uh, the fantastic landscapes, which is the waterfalls. I'm just a water nut. Whether you give me the ocean or you give me waterfalls, and I'm just I'm shooting in heaven. And Croatia offers a boatload of both. 
because the Adriatic coastline, that's uh, where Trogir and Dubrovnik are. And then uh, the waterfalls of Plitvis Lakes, and then on the way to Mostar, which is there in Bosnia, Herzegovina, uh, there's another waterfall we'll stop at. And then we do have some flexibility built in as well because we're going to be in September, and this is a prime grape-growing region. We just might find some vineyards to shoot in as well. So uh, we'll, that's not a guarantee by any means, but it's probably going to happen just because as we're driving along, we'll see possibly this awesome vineyard and just be like, you know, it's time to pull off. And I've done that before with, um, with various vineyards over there. So, uh, the people tend to not care at all. Uh, so long as you're not destroying things and, you know, walking all over the place, if you're respectful and the like, it's, it goes pretty easy. And so the, the waterfalls as far as the nature and then the history, uh, aspect of it, uh, which gets mixed into culture. Uh, so those are the three things for me, the nature, the history, the culture. And especially when we're at Dubrovnik, that's where actually we're going to spend a majority of our time uh, when we're there. Dubrovnik was the competitors, if you want to call it that, to the Venetians way back in the day, if you want to, you know, 15th century, that kind of a thing. And that was the... Um, that was the city-state of Ragusa. And so they were their own little nation-state. And so they've got this beautiful old town with a fantastic wall that you can walk all the way around. It's just about two miles all the way around. And so you can just have a sneak peek into all the various little areas, whether it's someone's yard or down the main plaza item, you know, looking at all these different uh, clay-tiled roofs. It's just... It's just a photographer's heaven because you just all these different compositions and all these wonderful old textures and, and the like. It's to me, you know, it's just like the the pinnacle. I, I love that kind of stuff. Yeah, that, that's awesome. It looks like you got a great mix of of waterfall and and cityscape and just kind of travel photos, just uh, looking at at the location and stuff. Uh, that's awesome. Yep. Yeah, and then the little tiny city of Trogir that's just outside of the massive city of Split. And that the Trogir, oh my goodness, the, the old town in Trogir is really small, so we can do it in just one morning, really. Um, and that's we're planning on being there in the evening and a morning. But it's so small that you can probably walk across it in five minutes. But there's so many little little alleyways and so many little areas where you you can only just walk. Maybe you could ride a moped, but you can only just walk. And it's just a nice, perfect, quintessential, this is a proper old town. It's really nice. So we're looking to do that. And then Zagreb, you know, that's really just a place to land on the airplane. We'll do a tiny amount of photography there, but I'm not looking to spend too much time in Zagreb. That's the capital city. And uh, we'll just use that to... Uh, get our bearings set and everything. And then we're off to Plitvis Lakes the day, the day after people land. Awesome. Well, um, uh, it sounds like a great trip. I set up a link for everybody to find the details about this workshop at improvephotography.com slash Brent. That's improvephotography.com slash Brent. Uh, Brent's an awesome teacher and has been to Croatia a, f a few times now. Uh, yeah. Looking at these images you got on the, on your workshop page, looks like just an incredible place. So check it out, improvephotography.com slash Brent to uh, get all the details for that workshop. All right, Brenton, in every episode, we, we uh, like to give them a doodad of the week. What do you have for us this week? 
Well, I am looking forward to winter time, and of course, that's coming up in the northern hemisphere for us. And a couple of years ago, I uh, my Sorrel boots went out on me, and uh, so I bought some new ones. And so I went with the brand Kamek and their Nation Plus boot, and I'm really looking forward to getting out and doing some snowshoeing and other stuff. Uh, this winter. So nice, thick, high, you know, goes really high up along the ankles and covers up my whole foot and in the bottom part of my leg. So I should stay nice and warm and toasty with those Kamek boots. Very cool. And for me, I'm going to recommend the Sony a6500. Uh, this is one that I'm really looking at right now as I'm doing more uh, video and time lapse. Like when you're shooting time lapse, it's really nice to have more than one camera uh, because you can set up more than one time lapse to shoot at a time. Yeah. Um, you know, you can do one on a slider and another one still, or you know, one on the slider looking one direction at the Milky Way and the other one uh, looking a different direction. It's just really helpful if you can create more than one time lapse at once because they, you know, they take sometimes a couple hours. Uh, so that's a camera that I'm definitely looking at for video and time lapse. I mean, it's a very capable stills camera as well, uh, but especially as a you know backup camera for a uh, you know I I'm shooting this Sony A7R2 uh, and have not received my A7R3 yet. Um, mm. Then uh, then uh, that's a really very compelling camera. So that's uh, my doodad for this week. Cool. The- Thanks, everybody, for joining us in this episode of the podcast, and we'll see you in another seven days. 